Shall we wrestle with the text today? We will. Today's gospel lesson is in Luke chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 21 through 30. You'll recognize this is a continuation of the gospel lesson from last Sunday. Let's hear God's word to us today. He, meaning Jesus, began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do you do, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum? Truly I tell you, Jesus continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Verse 25, I assure you that there are many widows, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And Jesus was in the synagogue in Nazareth, as you recall, all the, the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up. Listen, boys and girls. They got up, drove Jesus out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw Jesus off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd And went on his way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. About this time last year, our family, my family and I attended a Super Bowl party at one of my friend's house uh, in our neighborhood. And we were enjoying meeting other people we hadn't met before and, and so forth. There were folks from our neighborhood and folks from other parts of the area. And as you know, uh, people from time to time will ask, you know, well, what do you do for a living? Well, what do you do for a living? And I, I always kind of get ready for that question. And uh, one fellow you know, said, well, we were talking. What do you do for a living? He told me. And, and then he said, well, what do you do? And, and I, I said, well, I'm a, a Baptist minister. And I always wait for them to recoil or to flinch or to hide their drink or something, you know, when that happens. And uh, so we talked some, and, and he said, well, you know, where is your church? And I said, it's right, right on Huguenot Road. It's Huguenot Road Baptist Church, about a mile and a half or so below Bonaire and right next to St. Ed's. That's, you know, a big landmark, St. Ed's in the school there. And he said, oh, he said, uh, 
I live right across from your church. Live right, right over the way off Old Gun. And he said, I didn't know your church was there. And he had, he had been going to work that way, going through the stoplight, which ends at our church, and you have to see it to turn. <laughs> and he honestly, and I, I kind of felt bad, but I just, and I, I didn't judge him or anything, I just played along with it. But uh, how often are there things right in front of us and we don't even see them? How often are there people right in front of us who need care or need a good word or a smile or some hope and we don't even acknowledge that they are there? How many times have we been in the ballpark and we're walking and there's a person pushing a huge trash receptacle and we don't acknowledge that they are there? How many times is there a woman from Thailand uh, or somewhere else and has come to our country to try to find work and they're cleaning the room you're staying in at the hotel and you don't even look at her when you're walking down the hallway or leaving? How often are there people at our lunch table in school or in our classroom where we see them but we don't see them? I'm here to talk to us today about becoming too familiar with the familiar. I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else. We get stuck in our ways or focused on what we're doing and we overlook the opportunities that exist around us. We overlook the people who are in front of us, perhaps God has put in our pathway, and we don't acknowledge their presence. Why is this, I wonder? Why is it that we can drive down the road and not see big buildings that are there and pay attention to them? Why is it that sometimes I go through a traffic signal and then I I ask Melanie, uh, did I stop for that red light? I see some heads shaking and I hear chuckles. That's happened to you, right? I read an article in the New York Times online and it talks uh, about inattentional blindness. And the study was done by U California at Santa Barbara. And the writer says that our expectations dramatically affect our ability to notice what's around us. What we pay attention to is largely determined by our expectations of what should be present. Meaning I'm generally looking for people who are like me. And I overlook people who are not like me. Or who don't dress like me or talk like me, etc. Without expecting something, we won't pay attention to it, the writer says, and we are not paying attention to something, we are not likely to see it. We miss objects that are right in front of our noses. And they call this inattentional blindness. It's why dozens of people in a study they did walked right by a tree out in a park that had cash money attached to the branches. And people walked right by, didn't even see the cash because they were only seeing what their minds conditioned them to see or what their expectations conditioned them to see. And finally, the the writer says, incorrect assumptions can inhibit our ability to see what's right in front of us. 
I wonder if that's not what happened to Jesus when he went back to Nazareth to the synagogue. Nazareth, where he grew up, where he was raised, where I'm certain that he had attended synagogue numerous times. And somehow the people who heard him read from the prophet Isaiah and also some of Leviticus to talk about what God had ordained him to do, somehow they had thought that, well, this is just the same old Jesus. You heard in the text, they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Verse 22 says, they were amazed at his words of grace. The Greek word is charis or charis. They were amazed at his words of grace. Isn't that wonderful, that Jesus? Then he just says some graceful things. How nice. And then something turned, something happened in the gathering. And some said, isn't this Joseph's son? And I imagine some of them were, were kind of surprised that, you know, this is Joseph's son, the one who apprenticed as a carpenter. It's amazing that God has given him the ability to do this and to speak like this. And then I believe that there were others, as the tide turned in the room, who said, isn't that Joseph's son? Who in the world does he think he is saying these things? The tone has changed. And the end of the story, they wanted to run him off a cliff. What was happening part is similar to what happened to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. And then the people in his own home synagogue did just the same thing. In verse 23, Jesus reads their thoughts where he, he said, some of you are going to say, physician, heal yourself. If what you're saying is true, and God has given you the ability to do all of that, then why don't you fix yourself? Heal yourself. Jesus, He knows what's on their minds. And that's very similar to the first temptation Jesus experienced in the wilderness where the adversary said, take this stone, make it bread, and satisfy your own hunger. Physician, heal yourself. And then in verse 23b, Jesus says, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what, you have, what we have heard you do in Capernaum. And otherwise, perform miracles, Jesus, if you're the one who you say you are. Let's see you do it. And you remember in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted and that he could have everything that was around him. He could have dominion over it all. He could use his power in that way. And then in the last part of the text, verse 28 and 29, I, I sense that as they are going to try to run him off the cliff, that in their minds, they're, they're saying, save yourself. Let's see what you can do. And you remember in the temptation in the wilderness, the adversary said, it put him up on the top of the, the pinnacle of the temple and said, jump off and quoted the passage that the angels would come and rescue Jesus. Jesus didn't succumb to any of those. He overcame all of those. And He overcame the temptations that I see Him experiencing right here. But it just makes you wonder why they were so upset with Him. You know, what was really going on? Why did they receive Him like a favorite son and then reject Him so quickly? 
It's like during the Holy Week where he came into Jerusalem and there were loud hosannas and praises. And then not long after, there were crucify him, crucify him kind of words where they wanted to betray, turn him in. I believe that Jesus received this kind of response in his home synagogue because he spoke truth. All Jesus did was speak truth. He told them two stories of how God loved people outside of the family of Israel. He told the story about a widow who was a Gentile and how Elijah the prophet was called to her presence. And he asked her for something to drink and then something to eat. And she was so poor she was collecting sticks that she would feed her son. Maybe scrape off some of the bark and bowl it down with water and drink what broth she could cook. And Jesus asked her for water and then for bread. And she told him, I have nothing. And then Elijah, uh, Elijah heard her plea and God miraculously provided bread and water for her and her family in the midst of all of her circumstances. And Jesus is, is saying to her, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years or severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah wasn't sent to all of the widows who were Israelite, but only to a widow in Zarephath, the Gentile region of Sidon. From the very beginning of God's ministry, back in the Old Testament and all the way into the New Testament, God's love was for all people, Jew and Gentile. That never changed. Into the New Testament, never changed. And the people in the synagogue couldn't get that. God's love was for anyone else but their chosen group of people. And then Jesus went on to say, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Elisha was Elijah's successor. They both prophesied in the kingdom. The, the, the monarchy was divided. They prophesied in the northern kingdom. And out of all those in Israel with leprosy during the time of Elisha, the prophet, not one of them was cleansed, yet only Naaman the Syrian. Not only was he outside of the family of Israel, but he was also on the enemy side. And so we see Jesus saying we're supposed to love people who are different than we are, people we would normally overlook and leave out and condemn and, and say are socially and religiously, ceremoniously, uh, ceremonially unclean. And also, he's saying if, if God uh, healed Naaman through Elisha, then that means that we're supposed to love our enemies too. And these words are hard for them to hear. And instead of wrestling with them, the choice they made was to run him out of town. We also see this same temptation come to Jesus when he was on the cross. Listen briefly. Matthew 27, 40 and 42. I'll, I'll read a little earlier in verse 38. Two robbers were crucified with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, 
Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we believe and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted in his own synagogue. And at the end of his earthly life, Jesus was tempted while he hung on the cross. And every time Jesus experienced this, he modeled humility. He relied on the Word of God. And in his synagogue, when they wanted to run him out of town and throw him off a cliff, he walked away. How often do we get in a confrontation with someone and we engage with them instead of just walking away? So Jesus gives us a wonderful example there. And when he was insulted on the cross and tempted then again, he followed the will of God. And he surrendered himself to death, even death, on a cross. Sometimes we're too familiar with the familiar. The people in the synagogue were so familiar with their own routine that they couldn't see something in their own Word of God that Jesus had simply pointed out to them. All he did was speak truth. All he really did was read the Bible. And they had to deal with it. And they dealt with it negatively. Maybe we have a religious routine that gets in our way and we aren't able to see that which God has placed in front of us. Maybe it's our traditions. Sometimes we elevate our religious traditions and make them sacred so much so that we can overlook that which God has placed in our path. Just this past week, I was in a nursing home visiting one of our members and a lady who was there in, uh, in the center, she happened you know, to be talking with me about church and and she she said well at our church we do things just like we did 65 to 70 years ago how much of those traditions can get in the way of what God desires for us to see and do sometimes our own background or our own prejudice or our own understandings get in the way of the people whom God would have us to engage Maybe we are afraid or risk-averse and our fears and anxieties can get in the way of seeing that which God places in front of us. I don't know what it is for you, but every one of us has something that can be a barrier to hearing God and following through with God's call. Perhaps there's a message for us to be open to hearing God's voice through the unexpected and the familiar especially what we read right in our own Bible. Perhaps there's a message for us to reconcile with someone, to deal with conflict, or a message for us that sometimes we need to disengage and walk away. To be humble, just like Jesus was. Today we have these elements that 
are a reminder of the way in which he lived, died, and modeled servant leadership. And modeled for us what it means to give oneself as a sacrifice that others might be forgiven of sin and live everlasting life. Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he distributed it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. As often as you meet together, take, eat, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine and he blessed it and he poured it out saying, this is my blood shed for you for the remission of the sins of many. As often as you meet together, take, drink, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus said, as often as you take of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the coming of the Son of Man. Would you join me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of worship. And we thank you that you've given in Jesus a model for us of what it means to be humble and also to speak truth and to leave everything up to you. As we gather, awaiting the elements to be served, we pray and beg your forgiveness. We confess our sins, known and unknown. And we are confident that you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We ask your blessing on this sacred meal and on all who partake. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.